0: That's going to really change is patient selection. Um, there are more and more, um, there is more and more research showing that you can use predictive analytics and artificial intelligence. And while while these things will help with the surgical effort, I feel like we would really know prior to a surgery if a patient's going to benefit or not.
1: Hey guys, my name is Vikram and I'm your host for today's White Coat Story. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Oren Gottfried. Dr. Gottfried is a professor in orthopedic surgery, professor in neurosurgery, and vice chair for clinical and quality outcomes at Duke University School of Medicine in Raleigh, North Carolina. Gottfried received his MD in 2001 from the University of Arizona. From there, he went on to do his residency in neurosurgery and fellowship in spinal surgery at the University of Utah. Before becoming a professor at Duke, Gottfried was an instructor of spine and neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins University. In this podcast, you will hear Dr. Gottfried talk about some of his daily work as a neurosurgeon, his role as a medical consultant for many television shows, the future of medicine for both the physician and the patient, and what it takes to make it in his field. Now, on to the podcast.
2: Hi, Dr. Gottfried. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hello. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, my first question is, in simple words, what type of medicine do you practice and what does that type of doctor do?
0: I am a neurosurgeon who specializes in spine surgery, so I take care of patients with Neurological illnesses that are potentially surgically correctable and I take care of patients with spinal disease and uh, many times I can help them either with a surgery or with um, interventions or medications that will help them with their spine illness.
2: Could you give us some examples of some spinal injuries that you might deal with? Yeah,
0: so in my practice I see many patients with what's called spinal stenosis um, or spinal instability and what those terms mean um, stenosis means pinching on the nerves, and it's usually from arthritis or degenerative process. Sometimes the degenerative process even makes the spine unstable. And these illnesses occur often in the lumbar spine as well in the cervical spine. And so we can offer different treatments. And when all conservative treatments don't work, then we go ahead and try surgery when patients feel that is the best option for them.
2: So when did you decide, when did you decide that you wanted to become a doctor?
0: I have um, some evidence that I discussed wanting to be a doctor around age five or six, but as far as being a a serious passion, I would say during high school, I realized that this is what I wanted to do and thought out experiences that could either go against that logic or support it, and I found every, every experience supported that desire.
2: So what really drove you to this field, if you could pick one of those experiences?
0: I mean, fundamentally, um, being drawn towards medicine and being even specifically to be drawn towards my field in neurosurgery and spine was a desire to work with people that were not doing well in their current circumstance and offering an option, a treatment that could help them get through it. Naturally, just talking to someone and being a listening ear is nice. We all need that, but also being able to offer them a service whether it would be just my experience to help guide them through what they're going through or my hands with the surgery. But I realized early on that I wanted to have that role with people, with patients.
2: Is there anything in particular that drew you towards the spine?
0: Well, I was drawn towards the nervous system just because it's a very complex Um, area of medicine that we don't fully understand, but there's great advancements happening on, you know, what seems to be a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Specifically to the spine, I realized that I could use my hands to help patients with their scenario, with their disease, and reasonably so help many patients get through the problem. There are areas of medicine where one can offer some treatment of symptoms, or palliative options, but I felt in spine there was great opportunity to actually help and a significant ability to help the patient get through what they're feeling. So
2: you like to uh, eliminate the cause rather than just fighting symptoms?
0: When it's possible, I mean, there are certainly times in spine where I'm treating one issue, understanding there are other issues that are less significant that could become significant, but I do feel like there's a the possibility of actually intervening and making a big difference. I do value there are many other areas of medicine that have this as well, but I felt a calling for myself within spine.
2: Right, right. So what was your first day of medical school like, just walking in the door? Tell us about it. I have a
0: very good memory of that particular day, uh, meeting all of the classmates, hearing their stories, having a bit of anxiety, understanding that the next four years would be very intense and challenging, and that I would grow through that time period. Um, But what I specifically recall is just meeting the people, meeting some of the professors for upcoming courses, walking into the door, seeing the environment, seeing what the classroom looks like. But I have a very vivid memory of everything because naturally it was a very important day.
2: So now that you are a doctor, what's an average day like for you?
0: Typically I get started
2: at about 5 a.m.
0: and, you know, typical things and get ready for work and arrive at work. I have some days that are dedicated purely to doing surgeries. I have some days that are dedicated to doing clinic Um, while I'm doing surgery and clinic days. I have time between patient care that I also work on research. Many of my days I'm working with residents and medical students and helping with teaching. Usually these teaching um, efforts are done in the OR or on the ward or in clinic, not necessarily in a classroom. Um, But that's, you know, my typical day to day. I also take call. So often I'm asked to take care of patients, whether it is with
2: surgery or just with clinical care at nighttime as well. So what, what would you say of all the different parts of your job is the most uh, enjoyable for you? I would say it is sitting one-to-one
0: with my patient or oftentimes with my patient and their family and talking and I'm listening and hearing what they're going through. And I always want to have every interaction lead to some hope for my patient. Um, so being able to give them a view of the future that is better than what they're experiencing right now. And then many times being able to follow through on the plan and be there with them. So I enjoy the simple things of just talking with, to my patients and giving them hope.
2: Like the human connection, to put in more concise words.
0: Yes, it's my, and more than human, it's my connection with them just that I have some experience. They found the right place. Oftentimes, patients have to really struggle to find someone to listen to them, find someone that understands their condition, and then, most importantly, someone that can help them with their condition. So, if I can have all of that many times with my patients, I feel like I've provided a service. My role is to provide a service to other people, and this is an environment where I'm able to do that quite often.
2: Right, yeah. So you mentioned that you do some teaching as part of your uh, part of your duties. So do you have like a specific teaching philosophy?
0: Well, I think we have um, many, um, but fundamentally I, the, my philosophy is that the person I'm working with, the person I'm hopefully trying to educate on things that I'm, I'm hopefully an expert on, would be better off for meeting me. So my philosophy is even if I only spend a minute with somebody, or a student, or I spend hours doing a complex surgery while they're in the room learning, I want to make it a meaningful experience. So my philosophy is that I have to impart some knowledge, some skill, some wisdom, experience, and it has to really hopefully settle in with what they're working on in their education and in their life. So I just don't, you know, give out a bunch of facts and hope that they can write it down after the surgery and use it. I try to listen to where they are in their education and their process and try to apply some, some learning points that could be useful.
2: So would you say that uh, you would do like a lot of lecturing or was it more uh, demonstrating? I would think in the format that I'm
0: working on, which is an active clinical environment, whether it's clinic on the you know, wards where patients are recovering from surgery or other treatments or in the operating room, there's not as much time in formal didactic lectures. So I am speaking about things right in front of us. Um, Also, when it's possible, the students and residents are asking questions that are sometimes related to what we're doing in that step or just something they would like to know. And in safe environments, I speak of safe, meaning it's appropriate time to answer these questions, even with patient care. I'm able to provide them answers. Um, there are times where I get to work with students outside of those environments, and it's uh, obviously an environment where we can talk about topics and dig deeper into those topics.
2: So this all seems like an incredibly busy, you know, week, days, everything for you. So it's important that you need to decompress. Uh, how do you go about doing that?
0: Yeah, I believe in um, well-being is a the, one of the most important factors in life. So I, I believe in balance. For me personally, I have wife and children and I spend a lot of time with my, my family. So even when work is busy, it is important for me to have dinner, have meals with my family, be there for bedtime for the children. As well, I do have hobbies and interests outside of medicine that I will always make time for.
2: Could you go more in depth about those hobbies?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I work uh, in TV. Um, I help the writers with TV accuracy, and I also pitch my own stories. I'm a writer as well. I rarely also act on these TV shows. Um, I have several acting credits, but my main role is as a consultant where I provide um, accuracy, medical, technical accuracy to their stories. I've been doing this for about 12 years, so I would say my role is not just as a fact checker, fact checker but it's also as a, a creative contributor because I can hear the story that the writer's trying to tell and I can also add to the story not just medically but also circumstance and drama so I consider myself a writer's assistant where I'm not being credited with the writing as often but I'm definitely involved with the writing process. Could you give us some of the shows that you that you've worked on? Yeah. I mean at this point I've helped over fifty shows. Um oh, more wow. on a episode basis, but I also work consistently for several shows. Um shows that are on air right now that I, I work with or work on are um Chicago Med, um The Good Doctor, previous shows that um, people may recognize are Elementary it was a show of Modern Sherlock Holmes in New York, um Royal Pains, but um many shows, but I I find that I never turn down a request to help with accuracy or the creative side, and I volunteer my time with several different organizations where I get called by new shows on a fairly routine basis.
2: Wow, yeah, I I actually did watch all of Royal Pain a couple of years ago.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a good show.
2: It was nice in that it showed
0: kind of a lighter side to medicine. Many of the medical dramas are quite intense, um, but there was a almost fun side to it, and obviously there are times where they did bend reality more than I would have liked, but at the same time there was a, a truth to each of the medical stories that we maintained.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, with your, all of your acting and writing, it seems you have like a very creative side. Do you try to bring this out in your day-to-day work? Well, I think there's a creative solution to
0: problems that we're faced with in all formats so i also worked as a vice chair and in, in administration for the department of neurosurgery which i'm part of as well as the hospital so i find that you have to employ creative solutions to common and uncommon problems or you just continue to deal with the negative attributes of these problems so i feel like um this creative energy can be applied to patient care. Um, Maybe a patient has an uncommon presentation of even an uncommon illness, and there may not be a a strict guide in the literature or in textbooks to say what you need to do, but if you can be creative um, in an intellectual way and never put your patient safety at risk, you can, you know, do a lot of good for your patient. So, I find it does help with my teaching, with my patient care, as well as coming up with solutions to administrative problems within the hospital.
2: So earlier I asked you what the most enjoyable part of your job was. Could you tell me what the most challenging part of it is?
0: The challenge I see is that patients have very complex situations and usually find me after struggling for years, sometimes even longer with their problem. And so what's challenging to me is I would like patients to have quicker access to the care that not only I provide, but my colleagues provide, my hospital provides. And it's a challenge to see patients suffering and knowing that there was something we could have offered. I see scenarios where a patient rushed to a surgery at an outside facility that didn't go so well, or maybe wasn't you know the best thing for them, but they were forced to consider an option because nothing else was working. So the challenge is Seeing people suffer and knowing that we have a resource we could offer. The other thing that I find challenging is that we have resources to offer and they're not equally distributed to all population. And I think that's totally unfair. And I even do research on disparities in medical care and social determinants of health. And I think it's just awful that we see patients, certain patient populations in late stages of the disease that could have been treated earlier. And so It's a challenge because I feel everybody should have access to the good stuff and it's certainly not being equally distributed.
2: Uh, Now, I understand there is confidentiality, but could you give us a situation where you face this yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, an example would be when patients present with,
2: horrible presentations
0: of their illness, whereas in general, other individuals present after only having uh, nerve pain. Let's say nerve pain is awful, just as a background, but they might have had symptoms for two weeks and another person suffered for two years. And I'm meeting both of them in the same day in clinic. And now naturally, I will give all my attention to both patients, but I'm terribly sympathetic to anybody suffering from nerve pain. And then to realize someone's been suffering from two years because they didn't have access to you know, transportation to get to the doctor. They didn't have the appropriate referral, and so as a physician, I can't comp- I can't do anything about the last few years. But I can certainly try hard prospectively to try to get them better. But unfortunately, at late stages of illness, things are not always as modifiable as correctable, and uh, success may be a partial reduction of some of the symptoms, but not a complete reduction. So I'm I'm faced with these kind of challenges daily. And all I can do is try to do better on the patient level and then expose through research ways that the the whole unit, the hospital, the state, in the country, we can all do better and try to improve resources to, um, you know, all individuals.
2: Could you uh, expand on perhaps some of the ways that these problems could be fixed? Yeah, I always find the word
0: fixed difficult because just like patient care and disease, often our best case scenario is trying to improve things. I think the way I look at it from a research standpoint is to identify the individual and population factors that contribute to these systemic problems. And what I've found through research, and if you look into terms like social determinants of health, it's not one factor. It's usually a a series of multiple factors that leads to um, inadequate or not as good outcomes. And so an example of a process that could improve things is when we decide, a patient decides they are going to proceed with surgery, A surgeon can go do surgery on all of them, or a surgeon could say, let's figure out how we could optimize your individual results with the surgery. An example is working on a population of patients with a lot of comorbid conditions. One can go operate or one could send them through a a very comprehensive pre-rehabilitation, pre-surgery optimization and improve each of their medical comorbidities so they have the best chance of success with surgery. The problem with this argument is if you put off surgery for too long to try to optimize one issue, it may be at the detriment of another issue. So you have to kind of weigh these all together. But pre-surgery optimization of health is one way to improve outcomes from surgery that does correct some of these um, issues and disparities. And even if someone presents too sick to have surgery, if you get them healthy and then do the surgery, you may be leveling the, the outcome a little bit better.
2: So earlier you mentioned that you wanted to become a doctor at age 5 or 6. How do you believe your upbringing contributed to where you are today? Well, I was brought up with a view that I could do what I
0: wanted to, but I needed to always try to do really well with every activity so it was promoted to try hard in everything i do there's no small task take on every task and give it your all so i felt like that philosophy was imparted to me by parents early on and then there was a component of that i liked medicine and that's what i wanted to do so i was given support to to pursue that pathway
2: uh did you have any role models or childhood heroes that may have influenced you in going towards medicine
0: I have an older sister who is seven years older than me that is a physician and I could see her pathway and what what, what methods led her to be successful. And I do believe that just seeing an example, a family member going through, you know, applying to medical school, getting into medical school, applying to residency, going to residency, all these things were very tangible, even at a young age for myself.
2: Yeah, I mean... I have some family members who are going through medical school or residency. Some in fellowship now. So uh, I, I also kind of want to follow that path, like what they do. I kind of look up to them.
0: Yeah, it makes it more tangible because right for a uh, for a person that's pursuing medicine that there's no one in the family that's ever done it. They certainly can seek out examples outside of their family, but it's some, there's something to be said about just watching and someone that you respect going through the process. I think it makes it easier, but on the flip side, the person that's the first person in their family to go to college or go to medical school, I'm truly, um, I think that's just absolutely amazing that they did that, and I truly feel we should honor those individuals, and it's just great because they'll set the pathway for other family members, and they were really the cavalier and the initiator.
2: Yeah, of course they lice away for all the younger ones to follow. So um, as a high school student, what skills must I develop to be successful in your field or medical field in general?
0: Well, I think as we talked about with my upbringing in general, it's just paying attention to what's being offered, Um, seeking out new and engaging opportunities. I mentioned earlier that I sought out opportunities to either refute my or go against my interest in medicine or support it. So I would say someone in high school should definitely put efforts into good studying techniques and finding areas that they're excited about, but also showing excitement to areas that they're not, you know, particularly interested in being open minded and, you know, seeking out new challenges. Um, A person will be successful in medicine that doesn't just go with the status quo and doesn't just go with what's been offered, but to seek out you know, new and unique opportunities and constantly challenge themselves to, to failure. I mean, we all in life can pick an easy route and find success in what we do, or we can actually go about opportunities that are challenging and actually fail and not do well and regroup and learn from them. I feel it's important to kind of take on those kind of um, efforts.
2: So we've looked at the past and the present. I just want to take a quick peek at the future You mentioned that you are drawn to the nervous system and to uh, neurosurgery and spinal surgery in general because there are just innovations happening every day, month, year, et cetera. So where do you see the medical industry or your own field in, say, 10 years? Yeah, so my answer might be um,
0: a little different. Um, I obviously value innovation and things getting better, but I feel like the thing that's going to really change is Patient selection. Um, there are more and more. Um, there is more and more research showing that you can use predictive analytics and artificial intelligence. And while while these things will help with the surgical effort, I feel like we would really know prior to a surgery if a patient's going to benefit or not. And so I feel like it's going to help us pick the right patient for the surgery. And then in surgery, it's going to help us as a surgeon. I make decisions. I have physical things I do within the surgery. I do feel like. Um, Advanced modeling and using thousands, if not millions, of iterations of prior surgeries will help the surgeon. It might be with tools. It might be with giving suggestions. Um, I feel like there are still things in medicine we do as individuals where a doctor decides, I'm going to do this treatment. I feel like there will be stricter indications and contraindications to guide us. There are many times in medicine right now that doctors still do very costly procedures when there may be a more effective, less um, expensive procedure. I feel like the amount of variability in medicine will be reduced, and in a good way, in that we will be, you know, doing things that are highly effective and doing away with things that are not effective. And so my answer really pertained to the process of being a doctor, perhaps being a surgeon, but less with actually the innovation. There will be cool tools. There are probably treatments right now that we're doing that will become archaic, and there's a newer way to do things. I mean, that all, to me, is very exciting as well.
2: Yeah, the patient selection point is something I hadn't even thought of before. Uh, You know, it's interesting to hear about it from that perspective, like the pre-surgery part. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, as a patient, think about you're being faced with making complex decisions. Oftentimes, a patient has to listen to the physician, outline the options, some you know, physicians are very good at communication. Others may be more brief than the patient wants. But a lot is left to the patient to make a decision. I feel like on the patient end, there will even be education and um, apps and processes to help them make the right decision, um, taking into consideration more than their medical factors, but even social factors and how they're going to recover and how the um, hospital stay is going to look, how the time after the hospital and the rehabilitation is going to look. So patient-facing um, advancement will be key as well.
2: Right, because I imagine the process right now for the patient undergoing, a, especially like a spinal surgery, that's huge. Uh, is very stressful and it's hard to be like fully informed. Correct. There's even the attribute of patients understanding the cost. I mean,
0: patients right. have to take time off work to recover from a surgery. Patients have out- of pocket quite variable by different payers. I feel like we need complete transparency on those areas to, to really understand what is the impact of the surgery, not just on health, but on overall on life experiences, life you know, outcomes.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. So my final question is, what is something that you would recommend to children aspiring to be doctors?
0: Probably the, the most important part is to pursue that pathway, but not to let the pursuing of that pathway, get in the way of um, living. Um, there is a common model for people going into medicine and within medicine to um, delay the gratification, to say I'm gonna be happy when I get into medical school and then during medical school, I'm gonna be happy when I get into residency and then when they're doing their residency training, I'm gonna be happy when I'm attending. And what happens is they always set aside their happiness for the future. So what I would say to someone getting into this is to love the pathway, love the journey, Of course, celebrate the successes, but you have to celebrate the day-to-day and enjoy it, or you're probably not in the right field. And you kind of have to take uh, inventory every day to appreciate and have gratitude for everything you've already accomplished and not a vision of, I'll be happy when I accomplish this thing. Um, I really feel many people follow the pathway of delaying the gratification. I think you have to celebrate and um, enjoy the, the small successes, too.
2: Well, yeah, that, that's great advice. You know, that's something I try, but not always
1: you know, successfully
2: do. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was, uh, this was one of my favorite ones. I learned a lot, and, you know, it was just very interesting.
0: Well, you do a really good job. I mean, I've, done, I've been asked um, questions before, but you kind of dug deeper with some of your questions. So I think you did a, a very effective job with the interview. Thank you so much.